Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Define University podcast, a space designed for educators to ignite your passion, transform your mindset, and learn to love who you are in the process. My name is Lindsay Titus, and I am here to share simple yet strategic steps each week with you to build your momentum into creating a life full of purpose and passion. The time is now. Let's dive on in to today's episode. Welcome back, everyone, to a brand new episode of the Define University podcast and another episode in our Share Your Story series. So excited to dive into today's episode because not only is this educator new to the Define You community, we have recently connected to, and again, one of those, the power of social media and the power of connection and networking. And I'm so, I was so excited when she reached out because I love learning and connecting with new educators as, as I know each of you do as the listeners of the Define You podcast. So today's educator is Carrie Graham. And so Carrie, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Lindsay. Thank you so much for letting me be here. Absolutely. Thank Thank you so much for reaching out. Um, for those listeners that don't know, you can head on right on over to my website. And um, that's exactly what Carrie did. And you can, there's a form there. If you want to share your story, I want to hear it. I want to share it too. So just head on over to defineuniversity.com. There is a podcast link and you can uh, scroll right down and it's right there for you. So Carrie did that. Here we are. I'm so excited to, to dive into our conversation today. Uh, but Carrie, can you just kind of let's start off by sharing a little bit about who you are, kind of what you do in education and just anything else you feel like sharing to the listeners? So, you know, when people ask this question a lot, I feel like so often people answer by saying where they're from or where they live. And I often think I'm like, yeah, it could be kind of boring. Like why? But I mean, and I do it myself. <laughs> you know, I'm interviewed other places and I'm like, I'm from Baltimore. However, that knowing you were going to ask me that question like that, like me being from Baltimore and me living here is also fundamental to my teaching. So I don't think I would be a teacher if I didn't live in Baltimore. So yeah, I was born here. I was raised in the suburbs and I've been living here. I own a home in Baltimore and so I've been living in the city again for 10-ish, 15-ish years. And I've been a Baltimore City educator for 10 years. This is my 10th year in the classroom. Although this year, you know, it's not really a classroom. It's my dining room. Yeah. So I am a huge advocate for Baltimore. And like I said, that definitely shapes my philosophy and my passion and my profession. I love it. And I love, I love that you brought up that it's, you know, it's a very routine question, right? That gets asked, especially on, on a podcast or an interview, right? Kind of share that. And I, you know, I always, I always chuckle too, because when I, you know, when I first started my own kind of journey into like whole self-discovery and self uh, transformation, you know, without a doubt that question, I, I would have answered that question, you know, I'm a teacher, I'm, you know, or now I'm a behavior specialist. And now, and sometimes I say it and sometimes I hold myself back. Like, I want to just be like, I'm me. Yes. <laughs> this is, right. I am, this is who I am. <laughs> right. <laughs> And, and I think that comes from because I work so hard to not define myself by one role, right? I don't define myself by being an educator, only being an educator. It's certainly one of my roles. It's a part of me. It's a huge part of me, but it's not the only part of me. And, and I love that, that you, that that's really what I was reminded of when you were giving your answer. You know, there are so many variables that come into who am I? What do I do? What's, you know, what is that for? And I love that you have this connection to, to Baltimore. And I can't wait to, to hear more about that. 
um, as we as we dive in. So you mentioned you've been at this place for at, at this district uh, for ten years, um, and so I'm sure yeah. over over the last ten years and and beyond, you've really probably kind of anchored into or really it sounds like kind of understood what your mission as an educator is or that purpose, like kind of why do, why do you show up every day? So if, if I were to, you know, ask or have you share really what is your mission as an educator? I'm pretty sure because I feel like even though that's such an important part of my job and you would think I would be like, yes, I know this answer. I swear, I feel like there are so many, but if I were to like really break it down to the most space level, I would say that my mission as an educator is for my lovelies, that's what I call my students, my lovelies. Um, my mission is for my lovelies to understand their own greatness. And that does not mean I don't think they already recognize their greatness or parts of their greatness. And, you know, then they come to my class and like, hey, guess what? I've opened this door for you about yourself that you didn't know. It's that they can still recognize that they're great and they have capacity and capability. And I push them to be even greater. So put them in those uncomfortable spots, make them learn that they can do things, even though they swear that they can't, and just help them be better prepared and more confident in the fact that they're out there in this world. And the world is tough and it's scary. And especially for my lovelies, it can be tough and scary. And so just letting them know like, yeah, you got this. Like just you being you, you got it. That's my mission, if that makes sense. Yeah, it absolutely does. And I love it. And I love it because I, I can relate to it. You know, I, I think that as educators, you know, we have this really hard job of reaching a group of students at an individual level, right? I think that is, that is, you know, if you think about it, you know, there's a lot of jobs out there that are individualized, right? You know, a doctor sees an individual patient, right? we see individual students in a collective in a large group mm-hmm. setting. So not only are we meeting the large group needs, but we really have to then help each individual student see their, I love that you said, see their greatness, see their potential. Like what is it that they can do in this world? And that's going to be different for every single kid. And mm-hmm. I think especially at the younger, you know, younger years, it's hard. Like they have a hard time envisioning what the future will be, right? They're excited about, you know, lunch or the, the video game. Or, yeah. you, know, <laughs> you know, the sports game on the weekend, you know, that's, and that, and that's all amazing. Like that's what we can tie their, their excitement to. And, and who are you? And, you know, I think it's just a really, it's a really cool thing. I, you know, and I always use the word cool. And then I always say, man, there's gotta be a more powerful word. And there is, just, <laughs> You know, that's just what comes natural for me. And I just think it's, it's such an amazing feeling that we get to do that every day as educators, we get to reach the the needs of many by focusing on the needs of each individual student. I admire that perspective that you're saying get to, because I, I think that, I mean, I sure that is actually how I feel, but I swear sometimes it's just like, oh my gosh, there are 30 humans in this room. And at my school, it's half Baltimore based and half international. So I have lovelies like I've had in a single class period, like eight languages spoken. And so, you know, it's all these humans from all these places with all these interests and all these experiences. And I'm out here trying to form these powerful moving relationships with them and help them see their own greatness. Like we're saying, sometimes I'm like, how, how and why is this expected of me? (laughs) 
but I do love that you're saying it is get to and think about it as because that is how I see my job in general. Like I get to do this. Like I get to hang out with the lovelies and get paid to laugh and get paid to learn from them. So I'm going to try to trick myself into more consistently saying like I get to do this you know, 30 individual relationships at one time and then 30 the next class period. So thank you for that perspective shift. Absolutely. And that, that is a big number. Wow. I, I mean, kudos to you. What grade level is it again? 11th. 11th. I teach 11th grade. Yes. Wow. And so, yeah. And so, you know, that just, you know, when, when I taught like as, as a teacher in a classroom, I did the opposite grades. I did kindergarten, first and second grade, mm. uh, self-contained. So I never had more than six students at a time. And, you know, and again, every class is different. Every student is different. Every grade level is different. Every district rate. We, we know all the differences, but I, I, it's that, it's that, piece of wow like doing that over and over but now like connecting that number to then your mission like my mind is like going a different hundred different miles like whoa like again <laughs> finding the greatness in 30 kids over and over and over for all your classes that's just amazing like wow <laughs> yeah and it's tiring right like to to love so hard and to even like receiving from them like even receiving like them loving me I'm just so tired <laughs> and like as any educator can relate so it's not like this is special to me but you saying that just made me remember we get sleepy in this job you do it's it's a lot yeah. and I think that's what you know one of my one of my missions of define university is to really help educators realize the power of and that we get to love our, our jobs we get to love who we are as teachers and you get to create a life outside of the classroom that you love as well. And, you know, we, so many of the educators I interact with, we are service people. We serve, right? That's, that's a big part of why we do what we do. And yet I think we often then forget that we have to serve ourselves too. And I even add in there, we've got to serve ourselves first because as you say, yes. it's exhausting, right? If you're giving, giving, giving at some point, you're going to run out. And so I think that's why it's so important to me. And it's a, it's a standard I live by. I serve myself every single day, no matter what. And you know, it can be, it's not anything crazy. It can be my morning routine. It can be five minutes on the couch just by myself. It can be even today, it's been time spent in the office, like that's serving me like getting, you know, getting things content created and materials out like that serves me. Um, and I just think it's so important. I think it's a message that can't be shared enough for teachers, because if you keep giving, you know, I, I, I relate it to in order to give, we've got to receive. And so I love that you just brought that up. Like it's it is that give and take whether it's energy, whether it's learning, it's all reciprocal, right? It's all back and forth. And, and so because I think it is so important, you know, I love talking about that on the podcast. And so I'm just wondering, like, are there ways when you're feeling exhausted, when you're like, oh my gosh, this overwhelm is coming. Are there ways or things that you do to help re-energize you, to help you continue to kind of, you know, for the, for the analogy, like fill your cup so you can feel more, more energized? Are there things that you have like go-to activities? I feel like I'm almost not allowed to say this. I am really good at having cutoff times. Like this is when I work from this time to this time, the end. And since maybe my second year of teaching, and this is year 10, I don't work on the weekends unless it's like an imperative, which means it's only happened a handful of times. So it's not that it's activities 
to answer your question directly so much as I just live the rest of my life. So it's like I'm a teacher Monday through Friday, whatever hours. And then to your point with, you know, we are teaching and living lives. I write and I work out and during regular life, I hang out with people I love and I read. So I just really allow myself to not, it's not that I stop being a teacher, but I stop doing the teacher things. So I don't lesson plan. I don't grade. I don't respond to emails. I don't let people trick me into going to meetings super early or super late. So that's what I do. I just say, okay, bye. <laughs> I'll handle this tomorrow when business hours resume. I, and you are absolutely allowed to say that, like shout it. Because okay. I, think more, <laughs> I think more people need to hear that message. Um, but I love, I just wrote it down. I love what you said. You don't stop being a teacher, but you stop doing teacher things. And I think that is so mm. huge because absolutely, I, and I've said it for, like I'm an educator, whether I'm in my school building, whether I'm at home, whether I'm tutoring, whether I'm at a coffee shop with my daughter, like I'm still an educator, mm -hmm. right? I'm just not, the actions I'm taking at that point aren't, aren't in alignment with educator at that point. They might be my role as a mom, my role as a friend, my role as a daughter, my role as, as me, right? And right, I like you're being lazy in right. those places. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And and that you know years ago when I first started teaching, I had no idea how to do that. And it's what it was a it was a factor in what led to my burnout and le me leaving the classroom. And because I tried to be for all those different things, I tried to be somebody different. I tried to put on a different hat. I tried to to do all the things I thought I had to do. What I was seeing everybody else doing, and now I realize like that only led to me being frustrated and burnt out and exhausted. And and so what I mm -hmm. when you were sharing that, what I heard is you know you have you have set boundaries right to where this is where I start and this is where I stop. And again, I think what I see so often with boundaries is people, it, it's like a always. And I'm like, but there's always going to be a reason for you to break a boundary. Like that's, that's what mm -hmm. I believe is there's always going to be something urgent enough and important enough that will cause you to break that boundary. But I love what you said, like you have to know what that is to know, am I going to break the boundary? And, and if you're breaking it all the time, that's you're, you're, you're not, you're, you're missing the point. Right. So it really should be. Exactly. Like, and it's not a boundary. Yeah. It really should be like, yeah, I can count on, the, on my hand how many times I've broken that boundary. And that's why I mm. love, I always get nervous when people say like, I never stay late. And I'm like, but like, what if something amazing, ha like, what if there was this like amazing <laughs> opportunity and like, <laughs> you know, like your favorite author happened to rant, like, would you you'd really leave? People are like, well, no, then I'd stay. I'm like, exactly. There's always a reason. But mm -hmm. the difference is you choose the reason. You don't stay because somebody said you should, or because you think if you don't, somebody's going to think of you this way. That's when what I, that's what I call your living in should though. Right. But instead well, yeah. you decide. Exactly. And I know that that's one of your things to talk about should bill. And I certainly appreciate that because especially, you know, I call myself like a recovering people pleaser and I know very intimately the shoulds. And I mean, I still, they're still my demons today. So it's not like I'm like, oh, got it covered, guys. I'm cured. So no one asked me for help. But I'm just saying that my mindset around it is, I mean, I could very easily, like I should write more detailed lesson plans. I should get this work graded faster. I should come up with more creative assignments or I should write rubrics for every single thing instead of just knowing what I'm doing and eyeballing some stuff. So I mean, I think a lot of profession, professions, but teaching especially, like the shoulds 
could be infinite. And the weekend when I, I think it was just like an accident, the weekend, my second year teaching, when I like didn't do work on the weekend, it was March. So it was almost all the way through my second year. And, you know, I didn't get done whatever I planned on getting done. And when I went into school on Monday morning, everything was still okay. And I was like, huh, how about that? Like, I, I still have this job, and I'm still able to teach. And like, now everything's not perfect, but it wouldn't have been perfect if I had stayed up all Saturday and Sunday doing whatever the shoulds were. So yeah, I completely am. And I'm so glad that that's part of your message, because teachers can be such masochists, like we like work ourselves to the bone. And, and I think because society recognizes us as like, oh, teachers work so hard. They're like, yeah, we do. But that doesn't mean we should always work so hard like we can still get the job done without an extreme amount of work does that make sense so there's a difference between working hard and then like excessive over the top yeah absolutely and I, I think to me it all comes down to the reason why you're doing it right are you doing it for somebody else or because of another person's opinion or what you think or are you doing it because it's it's what you choose to do right this is not saying that if you if you, you know, to me, it's as simple as do you want to, you know, if we're going to use like the working piece, like, do you want to work late? Do it, but do it for you. Do it because you're choosing to, because it aligns to something that you value. But if you're doing it because mm -hmm. it's, it's a limiting belief of, well, this is what every teacher does. Well, you have two right here on this podcast saying that is not what every teacher does, right? Because I'm the same 95% of the time I arrive at my start time and I leave at my start time. Now I'm not, I would never say I do it a hundred percent because sometimes right. I happen to get there early just by nature of I was up early and that's what worked. And here I am. And same thing. If I'm if, if I'm writing an assessment, if I'm doing one of my FBAs and I'm like rocking it and I look at the time and it says 3.30, but I've got half a sheet to go and I know I can finish, I'm going to stay those 10 minutes and finish and, and, you know, congratulate myself and celebrate job well done and then head out. But I also yes. have the choice where I could say, you know what, I'm almost done, but it's 3.30. I want to really want to go, you know, get my daughter and go have some Kaylee time. So I'm going to do that. But I get to choose. Right. And I think it's, again, there's a lot more to it in knowing are there deadlines, you know, are, are you, is someone waiting on you, you know, those pieces. But to me, it really comes down to who are you doing it for? And, you know, again, there's boundaries already set. We've got boundaries in our contract by saying these pieces, but anything beyond that you get to choose. And if you're choosing for somebody else, that's where, that's where I always encourage educators to start. I agree. And I'm glad to have a fellow person who knows like this is a job and that's part of it. Lucky I love my job and I love these other parts of my life and I'm going to honor those. Yes. So yay, thank yes. you for you. <laughs> I love it because it, it is possible. And I love that you are, you are another example, right? This is not just like Lindsay does it. Like there are so many examples of educators that, that love what they do inside and outside of the classroom, right? You get to have both. I love it. All right. So Absolutely. knowing that, knowing that you, you know, you really, and I love that you figured this out so early in because it took me a long Oh my gosh, long. me too. Thank you. <laughs> me a lot longer than that. Um, but it sounds like you have ideas of things that, you know, really do bring you joy and things that get you excited, things that get you, you know, your passion to shine through. Would you, so what are some things that you would say truly bring you joy I, as an educator? And again, this could be inside or outside of the classroom. My lovelies. I mean, if we're going to start with inside the classroom, my lovelies. And again, like, I think one of the reasons it's so easy for me to have these boundaries and recognize, like, I am Carrie Graham as a whole human is because that's how I see my lovelies. Like, and I tell them on the first day of school, and I don't think that 
connects because I don't think it's what a lot of teachers say to them explicitly, or at least not that early on. I say every first day of school, I know that you are a human. Like I know that you being in these school walls from this time to this time is not the entirety of your identity. I know that you might not even want to be here, or there might be certain classes you're here for, but the others, like, you're not feeling, and this class might be one of those classes. So when I say that my lovelies are my joy, it's them as people, not them as students. So I mean, like, yeah, I get excited if one of them's all hyped, like, oh, I finally got this good grade on whatever assignment, like, I'm there for that. But it, <laughs> it's just the way that they are hilarious. It's some of the times when I see them interact, and they're, like, you know, roasting each other. And, like, it's unprofessional, but I can't not laugh because it's so funny. Or the way they're so excited to see me and they come running down the hall and, like, slide down at my feet and do this, like, dramatic, like, I don't even know, you know, I can't describe it, but in my head I see it and I miss it. <laughs> and just, just things like that. Like, that is my joy. That is my joy. And, you know, sometimes, like, the other day, actually, just yesterday, we were having a Socratic seminar about something. We do that every Friday in my class. And if this was real life, the bells would have been ringing. But we're in Zoom, and so, like, I'm watching the clock. And usually the last five minutes of class, I try to, you know, start winding things down. But they just wouldn't let me get a word in. And I was like, ah, and they just, like, all kept talking, talking, talking. And so that was my joy yesterday, that they were so invested in this conversation that they were like, they lost track of time and they weren't trying to leave. And when I said they had to leave, they were mad at me. So like examples like that are lovelies as students bringing me joy, but usually it's just like lovelies as human beings. I, I think that's so important. And I, you know, I think it's, you know, we always, we hear, right. Um, you know, whole child, you know, focus on the whole child, but you know, and again, this could just be because a lot of what I did in the past was younger students. Um, but it's so important for any grade level, so important for any age. It's so important that we see them and hear them for who they are, not just for the things that we might associate with being a student, grades, getting there on time, being at school, you know, those things truly, I'm going to say it, don't matter as much as mm -hmm. who they are as people, right? And we all know that. You know, as soon as they leave, as soon as they have diploma or certificate of attendance, whatever they are getting, it is welcome real world. And if they don't know how to problem solve and they don't know how to ask for help and they don't know who they are, then what have we done, right? What have we done to help prepare them for that? And that's what, that's what scares me, but it's what excites me about education and about my role and what I can do to help to help the whole child again doesn't matter age really believe in who they are as a as a person no you're right and I I forgot that I think it's because I just like repress it the whole child thing because yeah people say it and I'm like you you don't mean that like please say it if you're actually going to follow through but you know the same people who are saying whole child whole child like you know at the upper levels of education are the same ones who seem primarily concerned about test scores. And my thought is always, okay, but you don't know why Selena got that score today, but if we were to do this in three weeks, it would be a different score. And that's not what you're asking. And that's not what you're holding me accountable for. And so I just get indignant <laughs> with the term whole child, I forgot about it. So thank you for reminding me that that is a thing and that when we do it correctly and authentically, oh, kitty, kitty, it, um, it is transformative in classrooms. However, it's not often what is actually put in practice. And I think that's, you know, that could be for any of the, I'm going to call them like educational buzzwords, right? 
Are we just mm. throwing them out there because they sound good? Are they what we like embed in our memos and our emails and our priorities and our initiatives because they sound good or because we truly believe in the power that they hold? Because I'm with you. If we, if we are saying, you know, we truly care about the whole child or we truly care about the whole person, then are we, are we looking at those factors that, you know, those, those needs and those factors that would be impacting them on every, on any given day? Or are we saying, nope, this was your score. Mm -hmm. Therefore, this is where you are placed, or this was your score. Therefore, this is who you are. Mm -hmm. And, and so I do see a lot of that. If we aren't having those conversations, then you're right. Those words are meaning, they're meaningless. And we really, I think need to shift that. So they're meaningful and they're really giving us, you know, evidence to support, to support growth and reminding that growth in our students can be academic but it could also be social, could also be emotional. It could also be physical. It could be any combination of the sorts. And I think, I think that's what I always keep at the forefront of my mind. Like, you know, academics is one portion of who we are as people, you know, the content that we know, the knowledge that we hold. But I also know as an adult, there's something I don't know. How I figure that out is I go ask somebody. <laughs> I ask somebody else, yes. I, I use my tools because I know how to solve a problem. It's not that I need to know everything in the world. I need to know how to solve a problem when I have it. And I think that if we can start emphasizing that more on that it's the solving part of the, like, that's what we can provide students with, that ability to fil- facilitate their own learning and solve these wonders and curiosity that they have. I think it's going to be easier to then see the whole the whole child or the whole person in your classrooms. Absolutely. And I mean, beyond knowing how to solve a problem, knowing it's okay to not know everything, I feel like that isn't, at least in experiences I've had, that isn't a message that we tell children enough and so I try to model that unfortunately I get a lot of opportunities to like the lovelies will ask a question and I'll be like I have no idea like I I do not know the answer to that (laughs) or I don't know sometimes we'll be talking about a certain writer and I'll say like this person lived during this time and then the next day I'll be like hey guess what that wasn't right like I totally was wrong with that and so I try to show them as an example of someone who was like especially because you know educators are seen as knowing so many things I'm really good at being like nope no clue but I can find out or it's okay that I don't know that because I think sometimes children might be afraid to, even if they know how to solve a problem, to be afraid to admit, like, I don't know the answer to this question because I think sometimes we teach them that they have to know this, that, and the other or something's wrong. Yeah, so I agree absolutely. with you. Yeah, I, um, I, I always, anytime I think of that with like questions and, and students feeling like silly or dumb on, on asking them, I always think of my, I think it was my sixth grade, my sixth grade teacher who told us at the beginning of the year, if you ask a dumb question in my class, I'm going to call it a DQ, like Dairy Queen. And he Mm. he did. And I remember like that thing, he goes, I'm going to call it a DQ to let you know, you need to ask a different question. And so I was like, well, I'm just not going to ask questions then. And so I, you know, and this coming from someone in fifth grade, I had a behavior plan to get me to talk. Like I was, I would not talk in class. I did not participate. I I kept my, you know, I stayed hidden. And so now I go to sixth grade and I was like, okay, I'm going to try and be more like, you know, in class. And here I'm like, uh, I'm not, oh, I'm not talking at all. I'm not asking questions. If I don't understand something, I'm not going to ask it. And, and again, I don't know his intention behind it. This is a lot of years ago. I have not seen him since, but I just think, and I, and I, I, I 
I don't see too much of that nowadays, but I do see that, you know, if it's very much a teacher led lesson, there will be students in your class that aren't, aren't feeling okay asking for help or saying they don't understand because of the audience that's watching them, right? The audience yeah. always plays a role. The peers in the room play such an important role. And so I think encouraging students, to, you know, setting up your lessons, setting up your experiences of learning in your classroom to where that's just a natural part. And then letting every student kind of navigate the water, so to speak, of their comfort level, of their their comfort to do that. And can they ask the question on a piece of paper on a post-it? You know, I've seen kids ask questions in, in notebooks or through, you know, personal, um, like private chats on the computer for those that are remote. So, you know, kind of expanding the ability we have for our students to ask questions. And, you know, if they're afraid to do it in front of people, how can they still be trusting to do it of the teacher? I think it's so important. Absolutely. I'm so sad that happened to you in sixth grade. Yeah. It's, I'm so it's, sad. Yeah. It was not, it was one of those, like, I think I like put it away for a long time. And then as I was doing this work, it came back and I was like, oh yeah, that was not fun. <laughs> right. I'm sure that really like closed a lot of doors mm-hmm. for you that year and maybe after. That's yeah, powerful. So I know you mentioned earlier that um, you love to write as one of your activities that you do outside. And I know you've had some things published. So I would love to hear just a little bit more about what do you love to write about? What are some things you're passionate about? How did that all come to be? So I'm just curious to learn more about that. Oh, thank you for asking that. I always knew I wanted to be a writer. Like when I was mid elementary school, like that was the thing that someone said, what do you want to be when you grow up? It was a writer, even though I didn't understand what that meant. I like loved reading books and I was like, oh, someone has to be responsible for making these books. So it's only been since I've been in my 30s. I'm how old am I? I think I'm 37. I'm pretty sure I'm 37. <laughs> I was born in 83. So yeah. And <laughs> I, it's just after 30, I get like still think I'm 35 now because I'm like trying to be cute. Like I just can't keep up with time. <laughs> so anyway, what are we talking about writing? So since I've been in my 30s, I've had a lot of things published. And the two things that I've like over time really come to hone and like realize are my favorite genres and topics. So I have personal essays. And when I write personal essays, those are typically me trying to destigmatize something. So I write about my mental health journey with anxiety and like disordered eating and body image stuff. And more recently, I've written about being child free by choice. And I also write vignettes, so like super short creative nonfiction, so true stories about my lovelies. And those are anonymous. They don't give any identifying details about my lovelies. It's just like snapshots of moments that any educator would read and be like, oh, yeah, like my version of that today would have been this thing at this time. And I write the vignettes, one, to help me process you know, like you'll be going through the day and something happens and you like just want to sit with it. You want to honor it and appreciate it, but you can't because there are like 25 other children or the day is ending and you have to like run home and do whatever. So I write the vignettes to help me honor those moments. And I write the vignettes to help share like what I get to do and who I get to love with people who aren't in our classroom. So those are my two current things the personal essays and my I love it and I will make sure to link um in the show notes uh some of Carrie's work so make sure to check that out um yeah absolutely and so you have we have talked about so many things today (laughs) 
And I loved it. I mean, jokingly, before we, you know, I hit record, I was like, we're just going to see where the conversation goes because that's how we do things here. And we have covered so many things and I've loved every minute of it. Um, before we wrap up, Carrie, I would love if you would share maybe just one piece of advice to the listeners, maybe something that you hold tight to that you live by, um, something that helps you on those challenging days or those days maybe where you're like, Oof, what's going on? Um, just any piece of advice for the listeners. I mean, I feel like I'm going to be repeating myself, but just that every part of an educational system is comprised of humans. Like these are people. And being a human means when you woke up in the morning, you were in a house with or without other people, with or without good relationships with those people, with or without what you needed to have to get yourself mentally and physically in a space to have a good day. And like you were saying at the beginning, like we get to, as educators, like we get to be in this collective dealing with individuals, meaning individual humans who each have their own start of the day and are going to each have their own end of the day. And if we're really worth our salt as educators, which I think we are, not I think we are, I know we are, but I know it can be hard for us to keep in mind because of all the mandates and the expectations and everything else that's thrown at us. I mean, it's about them being humans and not about what they are producing and the level at which they're producing. So it's something that I, even though it's like such a central part to how I view my job, <laughs> I tell you I struggle with it. I'm like, why did so many of you not turn in this essay? Oh my gosh, and I get so mad. But if I take the time and think, okay, well, this child is going through this set of experiences and this one doesn't have access to this set of resources, like that helps me understand what's happening. And I just hope that we all know that our students are humans and that we are humans and that we are not machines and that we are not expected to go, go, go at all times. I, at that the end. I think that is so important <laughs> to, to hold on to that we're and like, even within that answer, there was so much embedded in there, right? Like we are human students and us, you know, we will make mistakes. We will forget. We will do things yeah. and we're like, Oh, whoops, you know, and that's okay. That's how we grow. And that's how we learn. And I just think it's so important to remember that it is okay to pause. It is okay to slow down. It is okay to say, what do I need in this moment? You know, we as educators are so giving, you're so service, you know, oriented. It is more than okay to say, what do I need in this moment and ask for it, declare it, set, say it out loud and proud. Because if we are not showing up as the best versions of ourselves, then we are not helping the people we are serving as the best versions of ourselves. And so we want to be in this for the long haul if we want to go you know to where we've never been we've got to make sure we're in the right capacity to do that so i love that thank you so much um so carrie if people want to connect further with you where is the best place for them to do that well i <laughs> my zoom just froze so i'm assuming you're asking how people can connect with me is that what you just said yes what did you ask yes <laughs> Because I heard you said, Carrie, people want to that. I was like, hmm, I wonder what was in that blank. <laughs> so this will be fun. Hey, technology. So I'm on social media at Miss Carrie Graham. It's, Perfect. you know, easy to remember and it's consistent. So <laughs> I love it. And again, that will go in the show notes. And and yes, my listeners know we go with it. We roll with, with what happens. Yeah. That is, we, you know, to me, perfection is not something we ever aim to achieve. We are already perfect in the moment. So when things happen, they are meant to happen. I am perfect in the present moment is a standard I live by. 
because what uh, what other option do we have? Like to say, oh no, the whole episode is 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 not right. No, we have a moment to laugh. I think every educator knows knows Zoom freezing. Like we all, if, if you know anybody listening, is like, yep, been there. Yep, done that. You know, and I've done it yeah. on calls with students where I'm like, like yeah, guess so what you just that. said. <laughs> That's why I was like, let me just double check before I'm like, at Miss Carrie Graham, and you're like, girl, I didn't want you to say that, so. Oh, I yeah, love I'm glad it. we're on the same page with that, good. I love it, I love that we brought some humor <laughs> and had some laughs, hopefully, you know, to find new listeners, you are laughing with us, um, and can connect to that, because again, I think it's something we all can connect to nowadays, um, but Carrie, thank you so much for being on the podcast, it has been an absolute blast. Um, and I cannot wait for people to connect with you. Um, so again, listeners, make sure, check out the show notes. You can get all of that information. Um, if you would, if you love the episode as much as we did, please um, subscribe, rate, and review. And then take a second and share it out with your friends. Um, tag us in it so we know and can, can celebrate and cheer you on um, and, and really connect with you as well. And listeners, always remember... As we are finishing this episode, I will be back same time uh, next week, same time, same place, a brand new episode for you. So until then, keep loving who you are, owning who you are, trusting who you are, so you can help define who you are. We'll talk to you all next week. Thanks so much for tuning in.